When you look at what's required to move an important discovery in science into a real-world product that, that patients and consumers want and need, uh, obviously we play a critical role. We're responsible for reviewing the data to really examine critical questions about safety and efficacy. We see that as a clear value-added for patients and their families, and also for the industry sponsors of these products, because if, if the product doesn't work, if it's going to cause problems, it's not in their best interest. So we need to all work together. And I think part of the discussion in the conference today was how important it is to have all the voices and perspectives represented around the table. And FDA is one important player in that process. And we play a critical role because we sit in a position where we can look on one side and see what are the unmet medical and public health needs. And we can also see what's in the pipeline. But we have an obligation to do our jobs as effectively and efficiently as possible. And during my tenure as commissioner, I've worked hard to make sure that, number one, we are as engaged on the science as we can possibly be, both to make sure that we have people with the right scientific expertise and experience to appropriately review applications that come before us, but more importantly, to engage with the scientific community early and often so that as, as products are being developed, as, as new discoveries are moving through the pipeline, we help identify what kinds of data is going to be needed, what kinds of questions have to be asked and answered as part of the ultimate um, review process and our ability to approve a drug to go into the marketplace. And we know that by working together in that way, we can actually speed um, the development process and the review process. And we also have to commit ourselves to making sure that that our business processes are as, as efficient as possible as well, that we don't sit on applications, that we return phone calls, that we have the kind of, of mechanisms to hire the people that we need, um, train them properly, et cetera. So we have focused very much on you know, really strengthening our um, ability to do our job, but we see our job as part of a bigger mission to really advance biomedical product innovation. Well, we've actually, in the last couple of years, you know, had um, record, record numbers of new medical product um, approvals. Um, and importantly, we approve, I think, more drugs first if you compare us to other countries, and more quickly if you compare us to other countries. So I think we are providing a, a critical and unique service to the American people. We can always do better. We must do better. But um, I think one of the lessons from our panel today, and certainly a lesson from my experience at FDA and working as a bench scientist and a healthcare provider, is that we have to always recognize that real sustainable progress doesn't happen by operating in a silo. And we need this kind of partnership and coordination across all of the components and all of the stakeholders to really make the difference we want to make. We are so far down that path, you know, your question is almost irrelevant, to be honest. 
Obviously, the randomized controlled um, clinical trial is the absolute gold standard uh, in terms of, of rigorous science and getting um, really um, solid answers. But there are lots of other ways where you can get robust scientific answers without using that, and there are many circumstances where you simply can't do a randomized controlled clinical trial for ethical reasons or practical reasons. And, you know, we look at it as one tool in our toolbox, and we use many other strategies in terms of um, the, the kinds of clinical data that we'll use for review. We've also funded a lot of um, work in this area to really look at innovative clinical trial design, working with our academic partners, and in some cases uh, with industry, and we see it as an area ripe for continuing um, uh, collaboration and development of new strategies and approaches, uh, but it is, it is critically important, and I think that as we learn more, do more, we become increasingly flexible um, and innovative in our approaches. Yeah, well, as we learn a lot more about underlying mechanisms of disease and the relationship of certain disease processes to certain genetic traits and also understand that even within one disease category, responsiveness to um, certain treatments may be different depending on, um, on certain genetic traits of um, the individual or, um, or in the case of oncology, certainly the, the, the tumor um, so we have an opportunity now to really deepen these understandings and build on them in terms of the therapies that are developed and also how they're used, and that requires some, some new approaches in terms of, obviously, um, the types of therapies that are being developed, the use of diagnostics um, uh, that go in a companion way with therapies so that you can identify the subsets of responders or non-responders. And um, so we're very deeply immersed in these activities. We've, we've seen a number of really exciting approvals in recent years linking a diagnostic with a therapeutic. And we've seen some dramatic um, translations of new scientific understandings into products for people uh, based on this approach, and um, we're going to see more and more as time goes on. Well, I think that when we look at the sort of scientific enterprise overall, the understanding and investment in regulatory science has not been adequate. And I think that if we really want to be able to deliver the biomedical products that the public wants and deserves, we have to address that. And my wish list would be that, that we at FDA could get additional resources to help fund research in critical areas um, that will enable us to apply the advances in science and technology today more effectively to the drug development process and the drug review process, whether it's genomics or bioinformatics, bioimaging, um, new clinical trial designs, um, et cetera. There's so much opportunity 
Um, but it hasn't been fully developed. We've, we've started some centers of excellence for regulatory science um, in academic centers, and it's been very, very productive, very valuable. We've created new partnerships, um, pre-competitive -co pre um, collaborative research with industry, academia, and government, including NIH as a partner as well. And all of that has, has really demonstrated real benefit um, in helping to move uh, research and development forward and getting some of these exciting new understandings of disease and health out to people in terms of new products. Uh, but it's not enough. You know, we really need to capitalize on the opportunities today. And, and so that would be my wish list. Of course, the reality is, we know, is that dollars are constricting. Um, and so we have to be as smart as possible about leveraging resources. And part of what we talked about in the conference today was we're going to have to make some hard choices. We're going to have to think about how we spend limited dollars. But I think that we really need to recognize that this arena of regulatory science is so key, and it's been the weakest link in the chain of science that's necessary to really um, realize the potential of science today.